This episode of Straight Yak is brought to you by Education Like Me, a nonprofit organization committed to the production of books, live events, games, and supplementary materials for you to enjoy learning experience most reflective of themselves. Both superhero like me and queen like me are a must-have for your children's book collection. For more information, please visit www.educationlikeme. So, Straight Yak is back. And this week, I brought on one of my really, really good friends. She's like a sister to me. We're extremely close. I can give you some more stories, but I think we'll save that for another day. Um, today, uh, my dear friend, Yaya, they will be on with me and we'll be talking about black girl magic or nah. <laughs> What's up, Yaya? What's going on? Hi, how are you? Hi. I'm great. How are you? I'm good. I'm pretty good. I'm okay. I'm kind of nervous. Sometimes you feel like a nut. Sometimes you don't. Actually, I don't feel like one today, but sometimes I do. I think earlier I did. Um, but despite the technical difficulties, here we are. Um, a few weeks ago, um, Yaya, you brought up a very important topic. Matter of fact, just lately you've been on on point in terms of black representation and how it matters. Um, and oftentimes how we leave a lot of people out. Um, and what really inspired me was this post you wrote. And I'll read it. I mean, I'm sure you now remember what it is, but for those out there that are listening, Yaya said, when we say things like black girl magic, what we often mean is my homegirl just got her master's, my friend travels everywhere, me and my natural hair friends, my sister just started her own business, my line sister, my homegirl is speaking on this panel tonight, my friend is a photographer, I'm well-versed in fill in the blank. And maybe sometimes we let that ghetto friend into the circle of magic because she went to our HBCU or because somehow is our coworker or she's exceptionally talented. So we let her be the exception and fetishize her ghetto for entertainment. Because by black girl magic, we mean black excellence. And by black excellence, we somehow still mean black excellent for white gays or excellent by the respectable standards or every nigga ain't going to excel in politics. We often mean we're going to ride each other's coattails at brunch and call it networking, all while ignoring the fact that we still haven't figured out how to bring all of our sisters along, and a lot of us have no intentions to. Growing pains are a real thing. And when I read this, I was like, yo, what? Like, I was kind of speechless. Um, but for the most part, I'm just like, this is what is not being said. And this is the truth. Um, and sometimes the truth is hard to digest. And, like, I posted the same thing on my page. I was reading through some of the comments on your page. And some people, a lot of people just don't want to accept what you said for what it is. But it's true. Yeah. Yeah, um, I think, I think that, like, it's privilege 
comes guilt, and then sometimes guilt comes resentment because once you get to that point where you're made aware of your privilege and then you're made, I guess, to feel guilty because you realize that you have this privilege at the expense of someone else, then you kind of have this option. And the option is, do I do the work to somehow include some people? Because, you know, you know that only one per- one person can't, can't do all the work, but am I going to hold myself accountable and do some work to, to include people? Or am I going to just push past this and not do the work? And a lot of times people decide not to do the work so then they're still left with the guilt. And then they start to feel resentment because it's like, why can't I just live my life at the expense of whatever? As long as I'm happy, why do I, why can't I just live my life? Why do I have to be responsible for something? Why do I have to feel guilty? Why do I have to feel uncomfortable? It's just, it's just, it's just, it's a cycle. I mean, and it, it isn't really that one individual's fault in my opinion. I think that it's just, it's just, it's just a society that we live in where, um, Everything that we have that is significant is significant at the expense of something or someone. And so we're all like, we all have privilege at the expense of something. So when we say like, oh, black girl magic, this narrative has been taken away from, you know, the ghetto black girl, the hood black girl. When we say this narrative is taken away, um, people get defensive. But uh, when you think about black culture, like that culture, a lot of it dabbing and hip hop and and the blues and whatever. It, 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 and as far as America goes, it comes from black poverty. Like the most creative things in our in our um, culture, the most magical things in our in our culture is black people. It comes from poverty, but it doesn't hit the mainstream until it until it leaves poverty and, and it then becomes monetized and then it isn't for um the people who made it anymore. And then the people who made it, you know, they're so magical and brilliant, they're just gonna make more things. So, you know, today is black girl magic. Tomorrow it'll be something else, you know? I'm remembering. I mean this, I mean it's is no. It's all all of it is very relevant in in it's February, it's Black History Month, and I think this conversation ties perfectly into, like, my, like people always say, hey, you know, Black like I'm proud, you know, princess, what's a good, you know, what's a good book to read to, to get started? And my go-to book is always The Miseducation of the Negro. Because basically what you, de- what you described, and I mean, really what it is, what it's come to be, even though it wasn't meant to be that way, is Black Girl Magic is owned by Black women that are in the quote-unquote Black middle class. And Black middle class, I'm from the E. Franklin Fraser School of Thought. You're interested in a good read, um, Black Bourgeoisie by E. Franklin Fraser. 
is also one of my go-to texts for myself that I revisit often, probably at least once a year, if not, but definitely every other year, because he talks about how this construct of class is, it's a total myth. And so people get a degree or a business or some money or a certain social status, because that's really what black people identify as class. Like you have a certain social status, so you think you're middle class. But the reality is you're making $38,000 living in Washington, D.C. Mama, that's poverty. Mm-hmm. You might be on the high end of poverty, but that's that's undoubtedly poverty. You can't make it by yourself on your own in this world with $38,000 a year living in Washington, D.C. Not alone. And so people get in these social classes, the black educated women, because, you know, now the thing is black women are the most educated, you know, in the country. Yeah. And that means we're in the most debt. And we also view ourselves as, you know, these middle class, upper middle class people when we really aren't that. And they took on this whole concept of black girl magic. And when you look back at what Dr. Carnegie Woodson said in the miseducation, the whole premise of the book is essentially if you go to these schools, whether they be an ivory tower or at the black college, you know what I'm saying? Like you get these educa- you get these degrees, this education. It is your responsibility to take your talents, your resources, your time, your energy, and everything, and reinvest that back into your community. Because if not, you you did all of that for nothing. And you spoke just a second ago about it's the society we live in. Indeed, our our society teaches us that we are individuals versus we are individual people who are part of a larger community that we have a responsibility to. African people, people of African descent are naturally communal people. But when you insert, you know what I mean, a few civil rights bills and integration comes along, we so desperately seek outward of our community now that we had the opportunity to go the other way or live better, do better, be better, be a part of a higher social class. You know what I mean? And so many of black women who use black girl magic don't even realize that they are that group of people who are in a higher social class who only think of themselves and their homegirls, and they're not thinking about other people in their community, their cousins that they left behind, that they used to be best friends with growing up. But that cousin is still at home, whereas you went out, went to college, lived a life, now you have a quote-unquote good job, and you go to brunch and happy hour, and you and your cousin are not the same, but still very much the same. And her black girl magic, where she working a job, maybe minimum wage with children and all of these responsibilities, she's making it work. Some way, out of no way, that's magic. 
we don't recognize them, we don't think of them, we don't include them, and it's it's dangerous because black women, we're all in this together. And it's like, just looking at some of the, the comments, interestingly enough, I feel like more so on your page, people were in agreement. But then when I look at my page, I went to Howard. Rah, rah, rah. <laughs> I got a degree. Rah, 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 rah. I live, you know, like whatever. A lot of the people who I went to school with and I identify with were just kind of like, no. That's, that's like, no, it, it ain't, like, it includes everybody. Um, like, wanting to deny the deal, the idea that this rift exists and that people are excluded and that it only represents a certain type of, a certain type or group of black women. Um, and I, I, and when I was going back and forth with some people offline about it, I was just like, watch this. One thing that people fail to realize that on social media, we operate in circles and groups. Mm-hmm. And our circle and groups don't look like everyone else's circles and groups. If you see a viral video of, I just saw one the other day, of a black woman forcing another black woman to fight her over a man. What? And it was on <laughs> girl. It was crazy. Somebody sent me the link because someone related to them. And I saw it. It was basically like the girl. Stacy. I'm gonna give her a name. Stacy and Ashley in a room. Stacy's upset with Ashley because her Man has been dipping with her, I guess. So she like, oh, you know, I don't play about my, I don't play about my man. Like, come on, let's fight. You know, like she literally fought. The, she did clearly. She didn't want to fight. Stacy wanted to fight. She beat Ashley up over a man on camera. Somebody taping this. It was it was really bad, and I was just like, there's so many problems. To this, but I said all that to say is someone who would tape a fight like that doesn't have the same circle of women around them as I do, and their Facebook and their Instagram and their Twitter and their Snapchat doesn't contain conversations and financial lessons and you know all the political shit that we talk about. Et cetera, et cetera. That time I don't look like that. Uh-huh. When, matter of fact, one of my coworkers, when I look over, like when I'm when I'm sitting at her desk talking, and she's scrolling through her Facebook feed, I'm just like, you live in a whole other world on Facebook talk. My Facebook doesn't look like this because we exist in different spheres, and a lot of people don't want to acknowledge that. They want to think that everybody is living, thinking, doing similar to them. So when you say, hey, 
you're excluding people from black girl magic. They're like, no, we're not. Yes, you are. Because if you ask someone who doesn't frequent the same blogs and websites and listens to the same type of music you do and go to the same brunch spots and the same paint and sips, et cetera, et cetera, they don't see anybody hashtagging black girl magic on their page. They don't see those those posts where it's like, yes, yeah, black girl magic, this, that, and a third. It, and it's also a social media phenomenon, which everyone doesn't have access to social media, although we seem to think everyone does. So I know someone who doesn't have any social media account. They just live vicariously through other people. It's like, oh, come tell me this or let me see this on your page. I asked her, I said, hey, have you ever heard of Black Girl Magic? She said, no, what is that? Is it a dream? <laughs> and I asked her because I knew that she was someone that didn't exist, one, on social media, and two, in the same social media, quote, unquote, sphere that I do. And she had no idea what it was. Matter of fact, maybe she didn't say it was a dream. She might have said something else. But what ended up happening was maybe two weeks after I asked her that, she was like, hey, I was looking at Essence Magazine, which is something that I don't do. Um, but she was like, hey, I was just looking in, in Essence Magazine, and um, they got a, a drink in here called Black Girl Magic. <laughs> and I'm just like... <laughs> One, if if I had never said anything to her, she would just know Black Girl Magic as a drink in Essence Magazine. It's a lot of Black girls with a lot of magic, more magic than the people who masquerade and parade around in Black Girl Magic every day, who don't know it exists, who is not considered, not included, not exposed, not introduced. No one tells them, hey, Black Girl, you are magic. Because, like you said, we don't do the work. He said, I I know that it it intended to be one thing, but, like, like in the, the world that, like, I move around and it's like, the the art world, right? And like the there's a certain like there's a certain girl right now. It's it's like like highly occupying black girl magic. Where it's like she's like light skin to medium brown skin. She has natural hair and she she's either like an artist or curator or something in academia or like some fashion girl with a whole bunch of followers on Instagram and 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 it's like um I go to these things that used to be for white people but this black girl magic is so popping that now there's all these black people here. And and it's like um if you haven't penetrated this this realm, then you don't then you don't you must not have um activated your black girl magic powers yet if you haven't penetrated this realm. Um the black girl magic girls that I'm talking about are like um 
I'm telling Terry, I didn't know like, I, I believe that black people can be gentrified. Um, because mostly because I'm from New York, where black people are gentrified, <laughs> like, it's out of the shadow of a doubt. And it's hmm. kind of like the same thing, where, like, this is kind of going off subject, but it, it's the same concept, where table takes like Brooklyn, right? At no matter where you go in the world, people know what Brooklyn is. Like, if you go to the club anywhere, someone is going to say, where's Brooklyn at? Right? And there's going to be somebody there from Brooklyn. And Brooklyn is like, you know, this thing that we know, Biggie and, and Tim and people coughing when they talk and, hey, sign and be and worry up God and all of that, right? And that's Brooklyn. And then what happens is all of this amazing black culture that is being birthed from poverty starts attracting white people who, who want to be around the culture and not the people. So then, you know, it gets gentrified and now there's whole food and little small business, white coffee shops and boutiques and stuff. And now this is the Brooklyn and this Brooklyn is artsy and you have urban outfairs and they, and they study this whole hipster alternative Thing. And now the black people come. New York has always been a place where people come to make it in the first place, right? And now black people are coming from other places, and they're not coming for the black people that made Brooklyn Brooklyn. They're not coming for black poverty. They're coming for what the white people built on top of that black poverty. And so now mm. there are black people that have come here for the gentrification. And they've only come to partake in the gentrification. And so now they've built another layer on top of the layer that's suffocating the poor black people on the bottom. And really all of this is being made possible by these poor black people on the bottom. But the black people that have come for what the white people have come for, can't even see, like they can't even see that. It's like, Oh, the locals, why don't they like this coffee? Why you describing Brooklyn? That decide, that sounds exactly like DC. And I think you can agree with that as well because I feel like you've been in and out of DC in the last few years, you know what I mean, to like see how Chocolate City has transformed into white chocolate city where all the old places we used to go, we used to know, the things that used to be more popular here and there are being covered by this new layer. And the black people that are moving to D.C. are coming to take advantage of that new layer that white people and developers have created. When I I talk to people... Right. Indeed. And it's like, and it's funny that we talk about (laughs) gentrification, and and none of it is off topic. It's it's all relevant. Um, I listen to Cranes in the Sky a lot, and I think that's like one of the like go-to songs that people tend to gravitate towards. Um, And I would probably even take it as far as to say one of the go-to songs that people who aren't artists will gravitate towards. Um, and 
after I listened to it, one day I was listening to it. I think I was maybe, I don't, somewhere sitting up in my room. Or maybe I was in the shower, which is my go-to thinking place. And I think I cried my eyes out. And after I cried, I was thinking about life and love and all of that bullshit. Um, <laughs> the song Southern I mean, you know how some, you know. You, <laughs> well, no, I wasn't crying like that. It was a silent, it was silent tears. I'm a G, I don't do that. But um, after silently shedding these tears and releasing these emotions that this song evoked, it took on a whole nother meaning. And I was like, wait a minute. Cranes in the sky. I'm like, yo, this starts to sound like someone observing a city that is being gentrified, right? And then fast forward to like a month ago, she has this interview with in this magazine where Beyonce interviewed her. And she starts talking about the meaning of, of cranes in the sky. And she's just like, um, she wrote it eight years ago when she was fresh out of a relationship with her child's father, a.k.a. her ex-husband, unless she's one of those people that was like Yandy and was married but not really married. Anyway, and she was going through, you know, the shit women's in, in, in their 20s, women, women's. There's the southern part of the hour. Um, the shit women go through. And she wrote that song, you know, self-doubt, pity, sense of emptiness or whatever. And um, she said she was working on it in Miami. And all these condos were being built left and right because of this huge real estate boom in Miami during that period of time. And she was like... She literally says, I remember looking up and seeing all of the cranes in the sky. It was, they were so heavy and such an eyesore and not what I identified with, with as peace and refuge. Um, I remember thinking of it as an, an analogy for my transition, this idea of building up, 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 up that was going on in our country at the time and all of this excessive building and not really dealing what, with what was in front of us. Um, and I was just like, yo, that's them gentrifying Miami. That's them gentrifying D.C. It really kicked off like eight years ago, and it's been running rampantly fast. No, actually, it's been longer than eight years, but that's when you could start seeing drastic changes. Like eight years ago would take us back to like 2010. I think I was, yeah, I was in Chicago at the time. I was at the crib. One of my friends needed to come out to D.C. for, like, a job interview or some shit. And I was younger and crazier and drove from Chicago to D.C. And it's like I had just been to D.C. like maybe a month, a few weeks before. And I come down New York Avenue. And it's like the same spot that I always come through. And it's like a whole new traffic route. And I'm like, wait, 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 wait a minute. I was just here, like. Less than 30 days ago, what the fuck? Like, that's D.C. Here today, gone tomorrow. And replaced by, like you said, these coffee shops, these businesses, these, you know, things that white people bring in. Yoga, soul cycle, um, <laughs> mm-hmm. all of that shit. And man, there's so many fucking cycling places in D.C. I can just 
drive a bike through the window of one of them motherfuckers. But that gentrifying and the people that come to see, like when I talk to people that aren't from D.C., they like, you know, I'm thinking about moving. I heard D.C., you know, I heard D.C. popping. Yeah, you because you want to come brunch and you want to come, you know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. all these little nice places that white people have managed to build up and you want to follow in line and then suit with them versus supporting the local black business that have been in D.C. forever, the little roundaway joints and spots that a lot of them have closed. I was devastated to learn that the Islander closed on U Street. Like, what? White people did that shit, man. And I guarantee you that some black people just left the class. I think it's so. I think it's one of the cycle centers now. I guarantee you, like an hour ago, 10 black people walked out of that joint from their cycle class. <laughs> and it's like, we take these things and we gentrify them and we, we flip them and we disregard all of the mm-hmm. others that were there once before that have been being magic, that invented everything that is magic. You know what I mean? Like, I think also it's because um, no matter no matter how um, pro black or proud to be black we are or we get, we somehow still always um, associate success and safety and stability with whiteness and and what white people do, what white people have. And, um, I mean, some of the most revolutionary, liberal, black, brave, courageous, you know, people I know still somehow, like, resort to some sort of whiteness. They refer back to, like, this is what I know is safe, and this is what I know is going to make it, and this is what success looks like. And um, and we also uh, associate those things with capitalism and with, Mm. like, being great at the expense of something else. Um, You know, it's never just, like, this is good and this is also good. It's, like, this is the best in town. This is this is the best that this has to offer or the best that that has to offer. And we want the final things in life. And, you know, um, I, I say that to say that um, we're, we're not going into, until we, like, abandon that way of thinking, we aren't going to honor um, poor black people. We aren't going to honor people who have not. We, we, aren't, we aren't going to honor that because, and you know, I, 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 I think one of the things is that living in this society that no matter how much you say, oh, I'm a non-conformist, I don't go with, you know, the ways of the world, I'm, I'm on my own thing, I'm, I, you know, like, I'm for black people, I'm about black people, it's, you know, like, because we live in this space and we're immersed in capitalism and individualism in 
white white success and white values and white, you know, and just in whiteness, then I think it's a constant conversation that we have to have with ourselves as black, pro-black people, black revolutionaries, et cetera, et cetera. Like, you have to continuously engage yourself at every point to be like, yo, like, I think I have to, I have to talk myself through these things all the time because I grew up for 18, almost 19 years of my life being influenced by whiteness. And by the time I got to high school, it wasn't that I wanted to be, I didn't, I wasn't thinking I want to be white, but I was thinking, damn, not being born white is the reason why I don't have this level of success or these things, et cetera, et cetera. Because coming from a small town where, you know, we had one high school and it's kind of like 50-50 in terms of whites and blacks, the way most, like, poor white people were, I guess, invisible to me in a sense, in the same way that um, that poor white people and poor black people are generally invisible to us all, um, unless we just so happen to be poor <laughs> and black. Mm-hmm. Um, I, what, like, watching white people and watching, like, it was only, like, five or six of us who had a car when I was in high school. And we would all pack into the car and go, you know, to the club, to McDonald's, like wherever the fuck it was we were going. And white people, they all had their own cars. They had whatever cars they wanted. They were into pickup trucks, you know, older pickup trucks, or somebody was, someone was into Mustangs and what, whatever it was they were into, they had. And I would see the differences of like when it's time to pay senior dues or buy a yearbook or whatever little shit you spend money for at school. White people would pull out a checkbook and write a check and get whatever it was they wanted. Didn't have a job. All of us, all of my friends, we had jobs when we were in high school because we had to go and make, you know, whatever little money so that we could have whatever extra, you know, shit that we wanted. But that still wouldn't necessarily afford us a damn car. Well, here they had a car and a checkbook and no job. So I started thinking when I was in high school, like, damn, if I was born white, I would have X, Y, and Z, opposed to being black and just having this. And it's like, no matter how black, loud, and fucking proud I am, I have to constantly engage myself in in conversation, especially as, you know, an academic historian, a librarian, et cetera, et cetera, I tend to deal with a lot of my friends are in the academy. A lot of my friends are, you know what I mean, in, you know, these professional, you know, places, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And it's like too often our work is centered around everything but the people who actually need it. Too often we speak to ourselves and and we end up talking to the choir. Like, I kind of got away from doing panels and shit like that. Because I'm just like, Sam, 
I'm not necessarily saying anything new to you or something that you don't know how to read or Google or won't come across your Facebook feed at some point. When we planned this, we didn't go and invite people who could use this information, this knowledge to empower themselves. Y'all sent it out on that same tired-ass listserv. Y'all rotated in the same-ass circles. You tagged them same-ass people on Facebook. And it's the same-ass people that did all of these events. And it's like, just happened to be a different purpose of speaking, and it's me. And every time... I've agreed to, and I've reduced dramatically the amount that I'm actually willing to do because I'm like, if I'm going to make time to go do something, I want to go make time to deliver this message to the last, the least, and the law, which is something my hero, Marion, very, really focused on, like those who need it most are the ones who are missing it. Those who need to be told that they're black girls, that they are magic. That they are black girls and they are magic. Like, we're missing that mark. We're not going to tell them. Yeah. We're telling each other. Girl, I already know you're magic. That's why you're my friend. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it's like, how do we start engaging in conversations where we take what we know, take these euphorisms or whatever into a space to empower other people who need who need it? And also when we do that, we have to be cognizant and let them decide what it is that they need when we when we go to take it to them, because you can't tell somebody what they need and how they need it, you have to listen to them tell you what they need, and then use your talents and your resources to fulfill that. I think consistent when I think about um, I don't have the answers. <laughs> I don't have the answers, but um. I think one thing that is important is helping people to um, facilitate their their own uh, come up, if you will. Um, Mm. And I think right now where we are, like a lot of organizations rob communities of that. Mm. Because what happens is, like, so I know that, like, the idea of the black middle class is a myth, but there is still, like, a gap there. Like, for example, I have lots of friends, right, that would not necessarily be friends with my cousins who I grew up with, like, my sisters in my in the same house, like, basically my sisters. They, there's... I have friends who wouldn't, who would not be friends with them or who wouldn't know how to be friends with them. I have like life experiences that I have friends that, um, they would, they wouldn't know what, what to do with that. And and it's really just because like for me, art is what, what had for me to, I guess, slip through the cracks. I'm in a lot of circles now 
that I wouldn't otherwise be in because of art. But like, it how that happened for me was there were certain people who came into my life who didn't force their services on me, but but gave me resources and guidance so that I could facilitate what needed mm. to happen for me. And I think a lot of times with the organizations that we have now, it's like you can only have these resources if you do with them what I what I need you to do with them. Or you can if you participate in this thing like um yeah, a lot of organizations are organizations. <laughs> I mean and with organizations comes, you know, the shit. <laughs> like you know, we're we're performing this workshop and you have to come be a part of this workshop or we're facilitating this thing that we're facilitating. And, like, sometimes the intention gets lost in organizations. Like, in order to uphold this organization, we have to do this, this, that, and third. Like, I remember there was a time in D.C. where everyone was marching and, like, there was, like, this organization wouldn't go to this march if this person put it on or they wouldn't, this organization won't go do this or, you know, if there's a coat drive, like I won't participate in this coat drive because it's going to help this other organization's coat drive. And we're doing a coat drive over here. And it's just like, but if you just give some niggas some coat, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, right. go out and go get a job. The bureaucracy, or, right. Right, and that's so, and that's the thing. It takes like even even as a story when I'm when I look back on stuff like just listening to you talk, it made me think about like the split between like W. B. Du Bois and Booker T. Washington, whereas W. B. Du Bois was more so the talented tenth and you know et cetera et cetera, and Booker T. Washington was like, nah, niggas need skills, dog. Like they need to be able to do, you know what I'm saying? Like they need to be able to do shit. They need a skill. They need a trade. And it's like, no, they need this education. Well, maybe some people need a mix. Maybe some people just need their skill and their trade. And maybe some people, depending on what they, what it is they desire to do, need to, you know what I'm saying? They need a degree. They need the academy. And it's like, we do so much. And not as not as much because a lot of programs have lost their funding in, you know, like the last decade or so. But there's been so much work done by black middle class educated people to send people to college. But not enough to equip people with skills or trade so that they could work for someone else with that trade or, or even better yet make their own business and work for themselves. College ain't for everybody. Right. But it took me to go to college to realize, you know what I mean? It took me to be on this side of debt and this side of the degree to be like, that shit ain't what it cracked up to be. And really I should have diversified my portfolio to be a better, stronger individual, whereas I was only going down one lane. So it's just like, oh, we tell kids, oh, go go to school go to college, like, that's dead. We all done figured out that American dream shit don't work like that no more. So what is the alternative? And like you said, 
basically how you ended up in these spaces is because you were giving you were giving exposure and access to some things that kind of allowed you to you know what I mean, maneuver through the spaces and figure out what it is you wanted to do and how you wanted to do it on your own. Right. And I tell people all the time, the only difference between me and, you, you know, like someone who is looked at, another black woman my age who is looked at in a lesser light or condemned because of X, Y, and Z is that my life path was different because I had exposure and access to things that others did not. I've asked myself for years, like, what is the difference between my brothers and I? Like, we came out of the same vagina. We came in the same, we came, you know, we came up in the same house, even though they're they're much older than me. They're 19 years older than me. But we followed the same set of rules. We were raised by the same crazy-ass lady. So why am I this way and they're that way? Because I had access and exposure to things that they did not. Oh. I I would like my childhood best friend was in Upper Bound, and I wanted to be in Upper Bound because I was like not because I wanted to go to college or cared about all the other little shit Upper Bound is supposed to be for, but they went on trips to New York and D.C. and shit like that during the summer. And they got to stay on the college campus. And who don't want to be grown and stay on the college campus? Mm-hmm. Me, sign me up. You know what I mean? Like, in the summer, you get to stay on the college campus? Yes, my, yes, my grown ass, sign me up. I get to go to New York? I had never been anywhere. Mm-hmm. So I joined that organization, that that program, I was exposed to all of these different things that made me see life in the world differently. And it set my course completely different from my brothers who didn't have access or knowledge about that program. And it's like yeah. and also when I was a kid I was I was in the gifted I was in the gifted program. So that so I was taught to be a critical thinker. Because I was in a gifted program, whereas other people were not. So you think passively about things versus you thinking critically about, like, what are the consequences, repercussions of this, or, you know, like, I should look more, you know, into what's going on around me, et cetera, et cetera. Like, my life path is extremely different because of those different points. And like you said, people with resources that came into my life and said this or showed me that. And I led my own way through these spaces. But when you don't have that, then what you see is what you get. Mhm. Yeah, I mean, trying to explain privilege is like, I mean, and you have all these people on the internet that swear that they understand intersectionality, but I mean, like, this hmm. is like intersectionality one on one, like. There's class within race, no matter what race. You know, there there is class within it. And, like, mm-hmm. the thing is, black people, we, we can't really afford to have, like, class down feet. 
you know, like class boundaries work for white supremacy, you know, has been like, oh, the poor white people can do the rich white people's dirty work. But like, when you talk about, as far as black people are concerned, we can't afford any class boundaries because that's why we're not fighting the same fight. Really and truly is like class boundaries. Like people say, it's like religion and this and that, but like, you know, if people, if a, if a Christian, someone who grew up as a Muslim and then like started dating Christians, like I get it. Like this. a Christian and a, a Christian, a black Christian and a black Muslim, they, they can eventually agree like shit is fucked up, <laughs> you know, but for some reason, like black people with money or like social status, they um, have a hard time believing when poor black people say, hey, there's a gap here. Like, I had this artist talk that I went to um, last year, and there was a black girl on the panel, and someone asked her um, what has she had any to break through any boundaries as an, as an artist of color. That's what they asked her. And she was like, there are no boundaries, like, like, just totally disregarding that artists of color have a harder time than white artists. And, I mean, you know, a lot of it has to do, she's a she's a light-skinned black girl, and she, she you know, she has beauty privilege and body privilege and all of those, these sorts of things, and she has somehow mastered a way to make black art for the white gaze, and that's the game she's playing. So... She she can sort of like live in this bubble where she doesn't have to see um, that there are boundaries or that there are uh, you know obstacles to overcome. She doesn't have she doesn't have to see that because she's she's made a way for her, and so for her it's like she's arrived. But the thing is, it's like you just like one black person and one black person slipping through the cracks is is not freedom. You know, it's like you have to continue to live your life as the black person that slipped through the cracks instead of you're the black person that got what they deserve because we all deserved it. And like I I love Phyllis Hyman and I, mm. I watch Phyllis Hyman interviews because she I I really a lot of the theories that she had and her uh, just her stance on things was just to me very like um, honorable. Like, yes, she has she's had so much integrity. But she in this one interview she said um, she had she had a problem with a lot of artists that she that she just refused to collaborate with because they were all like subscribing to being like token Negroes or subscribing to being like the special Negro. And she was like, how can you have true self-esteem if you think that you, that you being successful as a black person makes you the exception? Like, what does that say about blackness? If it's like a black person succeeding is, is something that's the exception. 
what does that like what does that say about all the other black people and if and if it says that all the other black people are not smart or not talented or not able to succeed then what does that ultimately say about you because you're black like what what and and that happens like we where we separate ourselves we and but that but it's like it's not self love because you still you still think that like you're you're the exception that that blackness is not supposed to do this the blackness that that if you win you you won by some sort of lucky luck or something and and ultimately you're saying that like by default you don't actually deserve the success, which is which goes against self love, which is crazy because you know right now it's so trendy self love, self care, along with black girl magic and, and every everything is like um contradicting intrinsically tied together and yeah, like it's crazy. And like just looking at what you said again. Because by black magic, we mean black excellence. And by black excellence, we somehow still mean black excellence for the white gaze. And you know what? I'm not sure if my my subconscious took this in and I've been in, in, in stuck with me or if it's just something that is totally getting on my fucking nerves right now. But I am so sick of white gays it's ridiculous like every day I could throw a fucking chair because they will sit at your feet and consume everything that is excellent about you even the things that some of us may not even see as excellent they will sit and they will gaze and they will soak it up and they will try to duplicate it and they will just suck it out of you if you allow them. Yeah. And I'm so sick of that shit. I'm so sick of it. So sick of white gays. I'm so sick of respectability politics where black has to look, feel, and sound a certain way do a certain thing i'm sick of it reminds me of like you know if you like have a a boyfriend right and like this boyfriend makes you feel like you ain't shit right and he has this other girl that he always compares you to, and he's like, if you would just be more like her, I would treat you better. And you're in this relationship for a really, really long time, and then now you're not in this relationship. Or maybe maybe y'all still are connected, but he isn't your boyfriend anymore. He's just like the ex that pops around and sends you a text, hey stranger, right? But like, he follows you on Facebook and he follows you on Instagram, he follows you on Twitter, he, he, he follows you on every fucking social media, anything. He listens to all your podcasts. Are you talking about Chris Brown right now? <laughs> and, you know, like, you want him to see 
that you can be like that other girl that he said if you were more like her, he would treat you better. You want him to see that you are worthy. And, like, as much as you try to tell yourself you're better without him because, you know, you broke up with him, you left him, and, and you're strong you're strong because you left him, you still want him to see your worth. You still, and, and, like, and somehow, like, your worth is contingent upon him witnessing it. Even though y'all are not together anymore. Like, that is mm-hmm. our relationship with with whiteness. It's like, we're, we're at a point where we're like, you know, we control the internet now pretty goddamn much. Like, black girl magic. In the, in the <clears throat> huh? I said in the media in general. I've chosen it. We, we control everything, like, and, and, like, even still, it's just like, you know, I mean, I mean, we can, we control culture, like, by my roommate, like, Danielle. We, 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 we control, like, everything, you know, culture and, uh, the internet, you can't even sell a burger at McDonald's without like hip hop music or like, and even still, like, it isn't, none of that is good enough unless we get an Oscar, unless we get a Grammy, unless um, some white people like it and they let us have a show at the moment or. <laughs> You know, like, but like I just said, we literally have to have a continuous conversation with ourselves, and I have to talk my way through. Actually, it's 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 so easy for me now because it's just simple. I I don't. We need more black institutions, and we need not to give a fuck about white institutions. Period. So that ends the conversation of. The SAG Awards, the uh, Grammys, the Oscars, don't nobody give a fuck. And we really need to be active thinkers in terms of, like you just said, we make the culture. So last year, quote unquote, Black Twitter, I'm rolling my eyes so hard right now. I'm still rolling them, and they're still being rolled. Um, fuck Black Twitter. And if you're on Black Twitter, then, I mean, may God be with you. But that's neither here nor there. Um, Oscar's so white. It was a whole thing. Whole media frenzy, woo, woo, blah, 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 blah. And because race, more specifically, black, African, African-American, Black Lives Matter is the most profitable thing right now. Of course, everything is going to start to look like us. Why? Because they enjoy gazing at all of our shit. They think if they watch black, and I love blackish, but it pisses me off sometimes when I watch it, and I'm just like, these motherfuckers sitting here thinking they know me, and they don't. Mm-hmm. Like, do I think blackness is, like, relevant to 
my life and how I, I live sometimes and things that I can relate to? Absolutely. But the reality is, like, that's not all me. That's only a piece of me. Tiny piece, bitch. And they watch this shit, and they, I mean, they eat it up. Look at them moonlight. Oh, my God. Look at them fences. Oh, my God. All of these shows and these things aren't about the fact that they think we're amazing and they think we're excellent. They're fucking nosy. And between their nosiness and us watching it, they got the ratings, which gives them the advertising, which gives them the money that these shows are generating. And it and it just keeps going on and on and on. It's like this cycle. Hey, we realize there's a, a really big wave in dollar to be made in terms of churning out black shit. So people think, oh, this is us, this is our shine. No, this is, like you said before, this is the shit that they're allowing because they're enjoying watching it. And so then you fast forward this year, everybody like, ooh, Oscar's so black. Man, fuck the Oscars. Let's respect, protect, and build more of the black institutions that have always looked out for us and never looked over us. The NAACP Image Awards comes on February 11th this year. I will be watching Soul Train Music Awards. I don't give a fuck that it's on BET. It's an institution that Don Cornelius built for us tooth and nail. Soul Train is a staple, a platform, one of the most powerful tools that was used, you know what I'm saying, during a very critical time in our country. We have to respect and protect and uplift and continue to build those types of institutions that are for us and by us that recognize us and see us for exactly who we are. Mm -hmm. Soul Train Awards, NAACP, Lady of Soul. Can we bring that Lady of Soul? Shit. Maybe we have more women in the industry that are getting more pull and you know being heard i mean they're out there they just not being heard but those things are important fuck fuck white people shit we got our own shit that we need to be supporting who needs their awards we don't matter of fact that's the only thing the NAACP is good for is the image awards and the damn uh and they law um, division, department, or whatever the fuck it's called. The rest of it, y'all local chapters, no shade. What you doing? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think, oh, it's, it's so, 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 so complicated because I think that, I mean, how do I unpack that? I think a lot of times people are, uh, it's so loaded, it's so, so loaded because it, it is loaded. People are, uh, one, there, there is a certain, it goes back to capitalism, and mm. there's a certain, Certain accolades equate to status, which equates to more money. 
you know, if you mm-hmm. win an Oscar the next time you do a movie, you're worth more, you know? If you win a Grammy the next time you do a concert, you know, you're worth more. <laughs> like, these are things, you know, your asking rate goes up. Uh, it, it does, it does. And at the expense of others, like you said. Right. Because now you got to pay $200 for a fucking Beyonce ticket. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it, it it does it does something for your career when you get these accolades because um we do have black institutions and Latino people have Latino institutions like you know, like people of color have their own institutions right but these white institutions are by default American institutions. Mm-hmm. And, and so, as an American actor, the highest um, award you can be given as an American actor is an Oscar, because the only way that the Oscars are ever going to be, um, or the end of an NAACP award can ever be more valuable than an Oscar is if black people like succeeded from America. Like, <laughs> as long as black people fall under the umbrella of American, it is always going to be more beneficial to black actors to get an Oscar. It's going to be more beneficial to their career. Like, um, Monique one time said that she valued the NAACP more than the Oscars. Because you know, yeah, look where she at. But the Oscars is what is is the Oscars is what opened any doors for her. You know, like the end of the thing is like. Yeah. I get exactly what you're saying. It's extremely loaded. It's loaded, but I felt it was necessary to have this huge conversation about something that is about such a loaded canon canons because it i mean at the center of our community and of the african world is the african woman and if we can't start engaging ourselves in an honest conversation and figure out how to bridge the gaps and maneuver through this space where all black girls are considered magic, all African girls and women are considered magic, then we still have a tremendous amount of work that we have to do amongst ourselves as African women before we can even begin to deal with the rest of the shit of the world, right? Because yeah. we can't do it alone because we're all intertwined and together. Like, you and I, we both had a conversation earlier and we had girls' night the other night and it's like 
decisions other women make affect the decisions, I mean, affect how my life, affect things that happen to me in my life and vice versa. So if we can't come together on one accord and recognize each other um, and include one another, then we're not going to be able to fix none of this shit. We all got to be mad, not just some of us. Well, because you know, one of the one of the queens of Black Girl Magic, Fanny Buhanger said, "We ain't free until we until we all free." Right. So if we're not all in this wow. together. Yeah, then, it's a right. I yeah, I just go first in there because this is one of most underrated champions of the world. She's amazing. Because she says, what does it mean if I am the exception? If I'm the exceptional black person, then what does that say about black If I succeed and I only succeed because I am the exception, what does that say about black people? And if that's in Whatever that says about black people, that's what that says about me because I am black. Fulltimer and Tony Tuck, like people don't people don't talk about Fulltimer enough, but she's she's like for real an OG. Every interview that I've seen, she has absolutely blown me away. Um, and it's interesting because I didn't stumble upon that until like maybe the last. Eight years, I feel like Solange right now. Um, but before, you know, I would listen to like, you know, I I mm-hmm. loved them in time, but I never knew who she was in terms of like her ideologies and her beliefs, and it's just like, wow, you know what I mean? Like, that's amazing and that's powerful. But you start a very important conversation that we really have to begin to have because if and i and i mean oh man we can go on for for centuries because you roll you raise good points when you were talking about scandal last week and shonda rhimes and like her representation of blackness or lack thereof you know what i mean like we can't give people credit for a half credit. <laughs> like, well, piece of credit. Like, you either doing it or you're not. Yeah, so I love Kerry Washington, and I want, and I, and I want. I love Kerry Washington, but. I just, when I look at Olivia Pope, I'm just like, and I know that blackness is not a monolith. I know that there are Olivia Pope in the world. I know that there are black girls somewhere with no black friends, no black culture, no black men. I know there are Olivia Pope in the world, and that blackness is not a monolith. But all I want to know is, here we have this show. Where black, where this black woman is at the forefront on prime time television, right? 
why do we not take this moment to uplift and and um and and and, and really showcase blackness? Like, why couldn't Olivia Pope be a bad ass lawyer with her bad ass black girlfriend friends? You know, like why could like why don't we want to see that? But like, why don't we ask for that? Why don't we demand it? Because we don't want to see it. Like the problem isn't so much Shonda Rhimes; it's us. And when I say us, I don't necessarily mean, you know, me or Princess Black, but it's it's us still, you know. We want to see that. We we want to see blackness get as close to whiteness as it can get without it being white. Hmm. That's why we love mixed girls. Like... No shade to mixed girls. Mixed girls are great too. Like, but that's that's why we fetishize it. That's why, like, if a girl is light skinned, right? We we want like a light skinned girl with wavy hair, or if a girl is dark skinned, we want a dark skinned girl with wavy hair. Like, we want either black features on light skin or white features on dark skin. We want to get as close to black to whiteness as we can without being white, because nobody wants to be white. Like black people don't want to be white. We just want everything that they have that we that we feel will get us in the door. No one wants to be white. We just want to be really they don't even close want to be white. Right. We 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 just want the privilege that comes from it. Like. That's why girls want small noses and 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 you know what you know, whatever else we we bleach our skin because we want the privilege that comes with it. We want to be adored. We want people to treat us good. We want like we want to be treated how these people are treated. We just we we don't want black ass Olivia Pope. We don't want hey girl Olivia Pope. We, like, don't want that. I mean, and there was a time, like, there was a time where there was black shit on TV, like Living Single and Moesha. There was a time, you know? But, like, those times don't It's different now. Yeah. I think once those things start to, to take form of some type of empowerment, they disappear. In the same way that hip-hop, when everybody was Afrocentric in Africa, and you know what I mean? Like, even if you wasn't told black and well-read and, you know what I'm saying, like RGB for real, you still were. And it was this whole cultural movement of, like, not being ashamed because it was the popular thing to do. And as soon as that really took off and took wind, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Then you get straight out of top end, the crazy motherfucker, you know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. 
it's crazy. But I want more people to have this conversation. I want more people to really think about how we exclude other people, our own people, our own family at times um, from our lives and from our experiences and from Black Girl Magic and from Black Lives Matter. His Black Lives didn't matter if he was a thug. It does. Yeah. His Black Lives didn't matter if he didn't pay his child support. It does. That's, those are other issues that we have to deal with within, but at the end of the day, like, everybody has to be included. Yeah. Unless they just can't. Some people, like Stacey Dash, you can have her. I'm a Rosa. You can have her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. And we ain't doing no race trading. No. We just, no. We ain't taking no white people in. No. That's not how it works. We're not trading black people for white people. We're just leaving them where they at. That's it. And it's like one of my favorite quotes um, is from, I mean, I actually have so many. It's, it's ridiculous. But Anna Julia Cooper, you don't know who she is, look her up. <laughs> I could go out, fuck around, and go and give a whole lecture. But Anna Julia Cooper is often paraphrased for this quote that says, when and where I enter, the Negro race enters with me. And when and where I enter, black people are with me. People are like, where are you from? Wherever you find black people, dog. I'll never forget it. I was in Selma on the bridge for the 50th anniversary. And a brother asked me, like, where are you from? And I, I hugged myself. And I, and I, like, grabbed my arms and I said, wherever, wherever we from? I'm from everywhere. I'm from Philly. I'm from Senegal. I'm from the mountains of fucking Asia. I'm from Dubai. I'm from Colombia, Brazil, Haiti, Mexico, Canada, Australia. We have to take everybody with us. Some people ain't gonna wanna come, but you gotta at least offer them the fucking ride (laughs) and the ticket. Um, rethink what it is when you black girl magic or whatever little popular hashtag we got going on. That includes everybody. Do the work. Do the outreach. And I'll just take this time to shout out my sister, Dr. Kimberly Brown, who's a professor right now at Texas Southern University in Houston. Um, She has a incredible nonprofit organization called Education Like Me, educationlikeme.com. Um, she's, she's wrote two books, probably secretly writing some more. Kimberly, I know you better than you know yourself, girl. Anyway, um, Queen Like Me and Superhero Like Me. 
both about men and women throughout the African diaspora from pre post steel slavery. It's just a myriad of black people, African people that it represents. She just did uh, a GoFundMe campaign to raise money to donate books to children in the hood. Her campaign was history in the history in the hood. I don't know another academic personally or in my extended network who would create something so brilliant, write children's books, and not only just give them to people who come to you know these events or in these certain places, you know whatever, but to actually raise money to give books away in the projects. To kids, not like, oh, bring the Project Kids to the library and come get these books or uh, the Project Kids come to church, we're going to give them books. No, I'm going to where they are and I'm going to throw them a party and I'm going to give them books and teach them about themselves. Her parties are amazing, by the way. I wish I had somebody like that to throw me a damn party when I was a kid to let me know that I was a little black queen who came from a mighty people, a great and mighty race. But that's powerful. And those are the things that we have to do in terms of doing the work to bridge the gaps, to include everybody. Because everybody got to be included. Our Sadidia's aunt got to be included. Our ghetto ghetto cousin got to be included. Our dumbass got to be included. Our friends got to be included. They friends, they cousins, they sister-in-law, baby cousin, Tracy. Everybody counts. And I think this is, I, I was really just inspired by you speaking up and out about this huge rift, this huge issue of class amongst black women. Oh. And especially with this familiar term. I mean, it's something that we we have to continue to dissect because it's a lot. But it's it's something that we have to constantly engage. We constantly have to have a conversation with ourselves, with our circles, with our people about what this means, what it doesn't mean. Um, What do we value? How do we value it? What should we value? And it's us. And not them, but um, I appreciate you for having this, for starting the the dialogue, continuing the dialogue, and speaking out even when motherfuckers is not trying to hear it. <laughs> I'm with you. I'm always that person, and people are always like, "Yes," and I'm just like, "No, not just yes, but let's be about it." The last, like, lecture panel I did, I was just like, we all sitting up in here, but the people that really need this message, they didn't get no invite. They they don't even know where this fucking place is. But yet we continue to talk about these things and teach each other, whereas we already have a knowledge basis for short versus going out and engaging a new audience that needs it. Uh, yeah, it's easier to just 
you know, the people you know gonna come to just, you know, advertise your channel to them. That's easy. That's the easy thing. You gotta go outside of it. Nothing yeah, is yeah. nothing is meant to be nothing real is meant to be easy. <laughs> and this life is real. That's why it's not easy. And the work that we require to do for ourselves and for our community is not easy, but it has to be done. Baby steps. Start with a conversation. Um start thinking about how you personally can do, what you and your friends can do, what you and your circle can do. How are we going to address this, change this, deal with this, grapple with this, break this down. But it's Black History Month. Read some book about some some books about some great women. Really think about and interview people in your life, in your family, your aunt, your grandma, your mama, your cousin your godmother really take time to talk about the black girls in your life that are magic that raised you that brought you up that gave you that 20 when you needed it like those are the people that are really magic that made this happen like a lot of people was like oh i'm just so thankful all the great women in my life sister i'm just a reflection of you that's it good or bad so, ain't none of us magic if we all ain't magic, with the exception of some, because some people just, they not just going to want to comply and there's nothing you can do about it. But love them and push on. But until next time, black people, we out. Peace.